before we do this, get, get to the teaching. And that word is expectation. Expectation. What are you expecting today? I mean, is it just enough that you got here this morning? Or is there anything in you that really is expecting God to do a work in your life today? I, I fully believe God wants to work in your life this morning. And I am here with great expectation. I'm also expecting that He wants to do a work in my life this morning. Okay? So, I'm not, I'm not up here because, uh, because it's my job. I'm up here because it's a calling and I expect God to move beyond Michael Discoli in this hour. So when we talk about preparing our ground, is your ground fallow? Is it crusted over so that it can't receive the seed of the Word or the nutrients of the Lord or receive water, but it's just going to kind of get, you know, run off? You know, you need to break it up. Part of that breaking it up is I want to give you or I want you to consider a heart of expectation. What does God want to do in my life today? What does God want to do in your life today? Okay? So I'm going to invite the worship team up here because I have a sense that I'm going to want to pause in the middle of this teaching this morning. But I just want us to uh, just prepare our hearts for what God wants to do. First, cast your cares on Him. Are, are you feeling anxious? Are you feeling distracted this morning? Did you rush to get here? Did you fight in the car? Give whatever it is to the Lord. I know some of us are dealing with physical things. Uh, there's a huge thing going on in our country right now, trying to raise the death ceiling. Maybe you have anxiety and fears in you. Just give your cares to the Lord and know He cares for you. Give those things to Him. And now consider the state of your own heart. Are you prepared for the Lord to speak into your life? Not Mike Discoli, but the Lord by the person and the presence of the Holy Spirit. What do you need to do to be prepared? Lord, we ask you to speak now. We are listening. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm just going to have you guys be up here for a few minutes and I'm going to get started with this teaching and just be ready for whatever God wants to do here, okay? Thank you so much. I'm in Luke chapter 13, starting with verse 10, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. And for those of you who are guests today on behalf of Summit Church, let me just say welcome to you. We're glad that you're here with us this morning. And we want you to know that we are on a journey where we are taking the Bible a book at a time teaching through it verse by verse, believing that if we'll be faithful to God and His Word, that He will cause His Word to come alive so that we can be fruit bearers for His glory, which namely means that we can give life to others out of the life that God has given us. And we are in the book of Luke right now, and what we know about Luke is that he presents Jesus as being the liberator of the oppressed and as being the champion of of the underdog, and this is a theme that reigns out loud and clear today, and I, I believe you'll see it very clearly, but there are two major themes 
that I want you to look for, especially in this first part. And the first, first is this. God cares passionately about people being set free from whatever oppresses them. Boy, you don't believe that? I think that was a good place for an amen. Let me say that again. God cares passionately about people being set free from whatever oppresses them. Okay. Secondly, God wants to loose people from religious oppression. My title this morning is about losing our religion. And this comes out loud and clear this morning. Religion has become a source of bondage that God wants to set us free from. You know, maybe you've heard someone say, I'm so angry that I'm about to lose my religion. Huh? Maybe you've heard that. Well, what I'm proposing today is that we must lose our religion at whatever point it is keeping us from experiencing the kind of liberty that Jesus has for us. In John 8, Jesus said, Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And in that same context, He said, If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So if Jesus is about freedom, and we're living in bondage due to religion, then the two are not working together. There's something wrong. So we pick this up, Luke chapter 13, verse 10. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit. And if you look at the actual language for that, it literally says she had a spirit of infirmity. Okay? She's oppressed by a demonic spirit. That's what the Scripture says. And this has been going on for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, He called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then He put His hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. Go figure. The synagogue ruler said to the people, there are six days for work. You know, under the understanding that a doctor's job is to heal people. So he can do that six days. So six days for work. So come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites. So notice it's plural there. There's several people joining with the synagogue ruler here. He says, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 years, be set free on the Sabbath from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. So to this point, what we have is this woman who has been oppressed by this demonic spirit, a spirit of infirmity that has caused her great pain and deformity. I imagine people would look at her out of the corner of their eyes, not sure what to say to her. I imagine her husband probably had difficulty accepting her in in this kind of condition. And the truth is, when we experience rejection day after day, year after year, eventually we begin to buy into it and believe we are hopeless failures who have 
nothing to offer whatsoever. But here Jesus looks at this woman and calls her a daughter of Abraham. He might as well have called her a precious child of God because those words were that significant to her. And it reminds me of 1 John 3, 1, and I don't have that scripture on the screen, but you can check it out later and write it in your notes. 1 John 3, 1 and 2. Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God and that is what we are. That's what God has to say about us. He calls this woman daughter of Abraham. Notice in verse 10 how Jesus here is teaching in a synagogue. And I point that out because this will be the last time in the Gospel of Luke that we'll find Jesus teaching in a synagogue. It might be because the crowds have grown so large. More likely, it's because of the response of this synagogue ruler in in this situation. But what I find fascinating is here we have this woman bound by a spirit in a synagogue, which we could say is a church. I would imagine she's been faithfully coming to that church Sabbath after Sabbath, certainly during this 18-year period, dealing with this demon that's keeping her from living in the kind of life that God has for her. But on this Sabbath, on this Saturday, Jesus notices her. He calls her to the front of the congregation. You can imagine a hush fell over the crowd. People are waiting to see what's going to happen. Some of them probably looked at the synagogue ruler and noticed anger come across his face. But Jesus simply speaks a word into her life and touches her and everything is changed. She's transformed. Well, I think this is significant because like this woman, I believe many of us come to church Sunday after Sunday oppressed by spirits and not experiencing the kind of liberty that God has for us. The affirmities that we may deal with may not be quite as evident as what this woman is experiencing, but they are just as debilitating, causing us to go through life with our heads bowed to the ground. We don't have our shoulders back and we don't have our heads looking forward for the glory of God. And some of these spirits are defined this way. Spirit of insecurity. Spirit of condemnation. Spirit of depression. Never feeling good enough or that we can measure up. A sense that we are unwanted. Being wounded or having been wounded by religion. Abused in relationships. Having experienced unfulfilled dreams. And we could go on and on with the kind of things that keep us from walking in the kind of glory that the Lord has for us. And what these are producing in us equals fear. Debilitated by fear because we don't want to get slapped down anymore. Zig Ziglar defined fear with this acronym. It's when false evidence appears real. False evidence appearing real. Get this. Fear will always magnify the problem while at the same time minimizing God. But faith will always magnify God and thereby 
minimize the problem. And, and friends, one of the reasons that we come together like this as, as a fellowship and as believers is to spur each other on and to remind each other of how big God is. Our worship is defined as magnifying God, and it's in magnifying God that our problems become minimized. So we come together to remind each other and to encourage each other until the day of Christ's glorious appearing. I love this quote by Martin Lloyd-Jones. He served as both a doctor and a pastor at the same time in London. He wrote these words. Listen to this. When a man is defeated by life, It is always due, ultimately, to the fact that he is suffering from a spirit of fear. The spirit of fear is real. The ultimate cause of all failure in life and of all unhappiness. And so we look at this and we see this woman. And what this woman is, is a reminder and a call to each of us whereby God can ask you the question and me the question, how long has it been since you have truly been able to walk with your shoulders back and your head straight forward, lifted high for the glory of God? And when was the last time you felt truly liberated in your walk as you've done life here on planet Earth? The application, God wants you to know today that greater than any disabling spirit you have a delivering Savior. And that would have been a great place for an amen too. Greater than any disabling spirit, you have a delivering Savior. Yeah. Listen to these scriptures. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And if you look at that, you'll find it's in the context of a spirit of Antichrist, that which is in conflict to the kingdom of God. But I love this one from Psalm 3 as well. It says this, and I want to pray this over you this morning, and this is why I have the praise team up here today, where David writes these words, O Lord, how many are my foes, how many rise up against me. And friend, that may be voices that speak negative stuff into your life. Now you think about that. How many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. And that's the reason why I asked you, were you expecting God to move today? Because these spirits have convinced us that there's nothing there for you. And I'm here to tell you, there's something here for you. (laughs) I don't know of any song in in my uh, history that has offended me since I've become a believer more than John Lennon's song, Imagine. But what's fascinating to me is that here in recent history, it's come out that Yoko Ono has kept from us the fact that John Lennon pursued Jesus Christ and that his final songs were written to the glory of God, expressing faith in Christ, and that John was going around trying to win people to Christ. This John Lennon, who was opposed to all religion, and this John Lennon, who said that they, the Beatles were the greatest thing since Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, if God can get a hold of John Lennon, God can get a hold of you. Right where you are. And I don't even care what I have to say. What does God have to say? But he says, God will not deliver him. So we don't expect anything in the Western church. It's not for me. Right? But look what it says. 
But he declares, but you, God, are a shield around me. You bestow glory on me. It's not my own glory. This is the glory of God. You know, we don't exalt ourselves in God's kingdom, but man, he can do whatever he wants. It's his glory. And lift up my head. You see it? Can you say those four words? Let's say it together. Lift up my head. And he says, to the Lord I cry aloud, and he answers me from his holy hill. Are you going to go on with your head down being oppressed? Or are you going to let Jesus call you out? He called this woman forward. It was awkward. She came and she responded. And so I just want to ask, is there anyone who would honestly say this morning, you know what? There's something oppressing me. I'm not living with my head forward for the glory of God. Is there anybody who would say that? Be so bold. I can't see it. I mean, I, I don't have a word from the Lord to point it out and say, woman, come forward. Man, come forward. But is there anybody here who'd be so bold? What are you afraid of? Don't expect Him to do anything. God will not deliver you, according to David. What's the point? Well, I don't know what to do. Yes, ma'am. Let me get this. Let me get up to you, Sam. We do serve a delivering God. And God delivered me from myself, from all the things that kept me from doing what God calls me to do. I learned eventually after 20 years of trying to serve God in my own strength that I was bound by a spirit of unforgiveness toward my mother. And I didn't realize it then, but it was holding me back from what God wanted to do, not just for me, but for all the people that I would touch. And in the last, kind of the, the back story is, I would outwardly tell people that I wished my mother were dead. She had been not a great parent. She'd been abusive and neglectful. But, you know, God calls me, God calls me to to function the way he tells me to do it in spite of the situations, in spite of the circumstances. And you all don't know me. Michael and Valerie do. 
but they knew me back in the day when I was doing this in my own street. Um, I started trying to help other women that came from a background of abuse and neglect and who were having life challenges. And it was through stepping out in that that God began to show me how bound I was and how if I truly wanted to do what he had called me to do, that I would release all of all of the things to him. It wasn't worth me holding on to. It wasn't worth me hiding it. It wasn't worth me keeping it from people because those very people that I were, was called to were the very people who were going to help me stay accountable. They were going to help me <clears throat> help me overcome this thing that had bound me all my life. I can tell you today that, and I'll, I'll tell you, I had a lot of counseling. I had worldly counseling. I had scriptural counseling. I had whatever kind of counseling there is out there. I probably had some of it. Um, but none of that helped me. None of that helped my heart be free. And I can tell you the things that you're hiding today are not worth the effort that you put into hiding them. God knows. The Holy Spirit knows. The difference between David and us is that we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us inside. The scripture says he answers me from his holy hill. Well, he doesn't have to answer us from a holy hill. He can answer us from the inside of ourselves. And I will tell you that God took this little, little ministry of about four people, that's what we started with, were four women, and we just have gone through a situation like your church has gone through. We have had to move to a larger location. We have had to, to more than double the leadership. We've had to go from one leader to five leaders. And we now have the vision and the ability to multiply exponentially. And those are the kinds of things that God wants to do with each and every one of you. He has a plan for you unique to your life and unique to your gifts and calling. But until you let go of the stuff that holds you back, you're never going to get there. So I know that Michael has a vision for this town and for the state of Colorado. And I'm asking you, since you are blessed as his body, you are blessed to be the community of believers that he leads, that you would catch his vision because you're not in this body for no reason. You are here because you were uniquely called here. You have unique giftings and callings that you didn't dream up on your own. Those were given to you when you were sent to earth as a baby. And they can never be taken away from you, but you get to choose how much, how often, and how well you use them. So I think we can take up the collection now. <laughs> thank, thank you, Sam. Thank you Thanks for sharing your story of liberation. I want to pray over you uh, this psalm, Psalm 3. How many are my foes? How many rise up against me? What are those voices that are denying your place in the kingdom of God and the blessing that God has for you? That's between you and me, Lord.
And I pray against these voices that say, God will not deliver you. Jesus said specifically to pray, deliver us from all evil. And in Jesus' name, I pray and believe that deliverance over each one of us in His holy name. Because you, Lord, are a shield about your people. And we claim that by faith. You bestow glory on us. It's not about our personal achievements. It's about you and what you place on us. And Lord, you lift up our heads in worship and in praise to you so that we're not slumped over in defeat. It's to you alone we cry because you alone answer from your holy throne. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you have been saying to me here recently that I seem extremely sad. Uh, And what you're linking it to is the recent death of my brother on May 13th, uh, who was killed tragically in a car accident. And if if you see sadness in in me, uh, I I don't know you know what you're seeing, um, totally. Um, but but I, I'm not sure that it's rooted in my brother. I mean I think that's an easy thing to say. Um, but but I think there's some some greater issues that are, that are going on in me, and I think one of those issues is the issue of baptism. And 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 I don't want a whole bunch of you know it's like. When I stand up here and say, I just don't feel like I have a friend. And then all of a sudden everybody's down here saying, I'll be your friend. And, and I'm not saying I just want everybody to jump forward and be baptized. But I want the presence of God to be so full and so real in this place that people are drawn to Christ because His presence is here. And out of that, people get baptized because they're saying, I want to die to self and come alive to Christ. And so I, I believe that's more of the heaviness than anything else. But I don't know what, what you're saying. So... I was committed to say, you know what? I need prayer today. So I'm coming down here. And does anybody here believe that Mike Descoli can be d- delivered from whatever is his source of sadness today? All right. Well, if you believe that, then you come down here and you place your hands on me and you pray for me right now. And uh, and the rest of you, I want you to worship with the song that the praise team's going to do uh, as these are praying. Now, if anybody like me wants to say, you know what, I need prayer, then you come down right next to me, and uh, we'll get some folks to pray for you as well. But come, you need to come over and really let me know that you need prayer this morning. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
Thanks, you guys. You can go ahead and have a seat. Really appreciate your help. You know, things are going so well right now in the church, and and uh, you would think, you know, that, that that's what I live for is just to grow a church, <laughs> but it's really not. And and I, I'm I'm going to keep teaching uh, this morning, and, and we'll probably go along. So if if somebody needs to leave partway through this, then. Uh, then I understand completely. But what this emphasizes is how desperately we need the presence of God and how desperately we need a relationship with the Lord. And I think you'll see this. It's not just about filling a church. And it's not just about the motions of religion. It's about the power and the presence of God. So so we're going to do that. Amen. I just want to know how I need to respond over here too. I appreciate you guys. Praying. Thank you, Lord. Julie, I've forgotten your friend's name. Kellyanne. Kellyanne? Kellyanne, you're getting ready to go to Haiti? Amen. Amen. Is God doing a work in your life this morning? Yes. Oh, he's is. Amen. Are you just worshiping the Lord? Here? Um, no, um, I've just what you were speaking this morning about expecting. Yeah. I just feel that um, a fear of disappointment has um, has stolen hope and expectation yeah. from me. I understand. Yeah. Wow. And I'm not sure how I'm supposed to give hope to others if I... Yeah, if you don't yeah. have it in you. Yeah. Father God, we pray against the spirit of disappointment. And Lord, we claim your spirit of hope in Jesus' name. Uh, you know, I've been praying that prayer continually, and I, I'm amazed at the victory I've gotten recently. Deliver us from evil. You know, in the Lord's Prayer, He said, pray these words. And part of that, deliver us from evil. And it's an honor, honest look at ourselves that whatever oppresses, He will deliver. And you just keep believing that, okay? Amen. Bless you in your work in Haiti. It's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, this is what it's all about, really. Well, in verse 13, this woman uh, immediately lifts her head and, and she praises God. Father God, thank you for the liberty that you've brought about here this morning. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, th- so this woman is immediately set free. I, I don't know if you can even imagine the excitement that was in the crowd, if you've ever seen a miracle, if you've seen somebody immediately delivered from something, uh, like the time I walked into a prep room of a surgery for a woman who had thyroid cancer, and I prayed for her at 7 in the morning, and later that morning she called me and I said, what are you doing calling me, didn't you just have surgery? And she said, well, you won't believe it, after you prayed for me, they wheeled me into surgery, and they wheeled me right back out because they said the thyroid cancer was gone. And so she was excited, and so I don't know how to give you that excitement so that you can have that spirit of, of anticipation, but it's going on right here, and everybody's celebrating except for this synagogue ruler and a few people close to him, and the reason he's not celebrating is because he's upset that one of his rules has been broken. You've got six days to heal, 
Don't come around and be healed on the Sabbath day. But the truth is this guy's had 18 years to heal this woman. He couldn't have done it if he wanted to. And now he's rebuking this entire crowd. And the reason is, is because he can't control them. He can't control their excitement and he doesn't like it. And the reality of the picture here is that his bondage was far greater than this woman's bondage. And the reason I say that, because this woman was temporarily bound by a spirit of infirmity, but this man is bound by the religion that he's buying into. So I don't see a whole lot of of hope for him in this in this setting. So Jesus rebukes him. He rebukes those with him as hypocrites, two-faced play actors who say one thing and then do another. And then he cites this one part of the Sabbath law that has to do with loosing, setting things free. And he says, hey, you're, when your cattle need water on the Sabbath, you untie them so they can go and get water. How much more should this woman be untied? And specifically from a spirit that's demonic. How much more should she be set free? And how sad it is that day when our religion keeps people from experiencing the kind of liberty that God has for them, but instead buys into that they must continue to live that way the rest of their lives. God wants to set people free from oppression, and God wants to set people free from religious oppression. Verse 18, then Jesus asked. Now, everything that's about to happen is built on what has just happened right here. This synagogue ruler represents an oppressive religious system that makes it impossible for the average person to come to God but complicates it. And that's the capacity of man to take that which is simple and make it difficult. And the reason is, is because as long as we can keep you thinking that the guy on the, with the Bible and the pulpit is smarter than everybody else with the Scriptures, then you're never going to live up to the capacities that God has for you. You understand that? Am I shouting today? Is my Italian kicked in to where I'm like the angry Italian? You know, pronto, pronto. Huh? You see, we like to have our certificates on the wall. We like to have our titles before our name, reverend, pastor, that, so that it insulates you from reaching the capacities that I've reached. And that's hogwash. Everything that I have in the faith is for you as well. Okay? So Jesus continues the teaching. What is the kingdom of God like? Do you really want to know what the kingdom of God is like? What shall I compare it? And he says, it is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden and it grew and became a tree and the birds of the air perched in its branches. There's something really wrong with this parable that Jesus just told. He, I mean, he totally messed it up and he didn't get it right. Because the fact is that a mustard plant is an herb and mustard plants do not grow to be trees. There's no way that they grow to be trees. And as herbs, they're not even stable enough to hold a bird who might want to land in that tree. And furthermore, Jesus makes it worse by calling this a dendrum, which means that it's a great tree like an oak tree. So Jesus must have got something wrong here. I mean, this this can't be right. But what I see is one of two possibilities. 
either the church will grow to be something that God never intended it to be, or this is the miracle of the kingdom that the smallest seed, a mustard seed in God's hands, can become the greatest tree imaginable. And that's what I believe God is saying, that Jesus is saying here. He's attributing that what happens in the church can only be attributed to the hand of God. But there's a major problem. And that problem is the birds. Okay? Now, false teachers that are out there today, they're going to tell you that that tree will grow many veins so that it's far-reaching to encompass all the religions of the world. They'll tell you that those birds will eat that seed and fly away and poop it out somewhere else so that other trees will grow and expand the kingdom. That's hogwash. Because Jesus is consistent and the only problem with this mustard plant isn't that it becomes a tree, but the problem is that there's birds in the branches. And if you understand the way Scripture works, if Jesus uses birds in one place to describe something, then you can be certain that He's going to carry that theme out throughout His teaching. And what do we know about the birds? Well, you've got to back up to where we were a few weeks ago in Luke chapter 8, the parable of the sower, where Jesus, part of it, He teaches this way. He says, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Okay? Then a little bit later, He tells us what those birds are. This is the meaning of the parable, He says. The seed is the Word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil... Whoops. Where'd that come from? It came from birds. Right? The devil comes and takes away the Word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. My friends, the birds in the parable of the mustard seed represent evil And what Jesus wants us to understand is, yes, the church will experience major growth at the hand of God, but beware because it will become the perching place of evil systems. And any honest look at the history of the kingdom will, will play this out. I mean, here we have this Pharisee who represents, or this head of the synagogue, who represents the religious system, and he's offended by a miracle of God. That's the spirit of the, of, the, of the bird. Okay. Last week, the shooter in Norway went around thinking he was doing it for the sake of the kingdom. That's the spirit of the bird. Adolf Hitler thought he was advancing Christianity by his actions in opposing the Jews. It's the spirit of the bird. Constantine, for religious reasons, merged the church and the state together, which became the darkest hour in church history. It's the spirit of the bird. And this should not surprise us at all, because Jesus told us, it become like this mustard seed that grows to be a great tree, a dendrum, the size of an oak tree, and birds will come and perch in its branches. But here's what we need to hear. This doesn't change who Jesus is. And it doesn't change who Jesus is about. The fact that people get in and abuse the system doesn't change who God is. 
And it leads us to the one application that is our primary application in this church. And it's the application that says that where we say, whatever application we give you, only use it to the degree that it helps you to live out this application. And does anybody know what that application is? You know it. That's who we are. All eyes on Jesus. Michael Descoli's a mere man. He only has the capacity of failing you. But I'm honored that some of you choose to follow me. Please only follow me as I'm following Christ. As long as we are keeping our eyes on Jesus, we're going to be going in the right direction. Okay? Because the spirit of the Antichrist wants to undermine who God is. Jesus says we recognize them. I put in 1 John 4 there where the scripture says, if anyone says I love God yet hates his brother, he is a liar for anyone who does not love his brother who he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So it's evidenced by the fruit and that fruit is how we treat one another. Well, he builds on this. In verse 20, he says, again, he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Well, what does dough represent? What does bread represent? It represents the body, right? It represents Christ. It represents who we are in Christ. But what do we know about yeast? Well, Jesus said earlier in our teaching, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And what did we learn? Yeast is that which puffs up. The only reason it puffs up is because when you mix it right in that warm water, it begins to deteriorate and break down. It becomes moldy and produces gas, and those gases cause these to rise so that it's puffed up abnormally. And the gas that's in these Pharisees is hypocrisy. And what Jesus is warning against is yeast getting into the church. That's what he's warning against right there into the kingdom. In fact, if you go to the Old Testament right next to to sacrifices that were offered to God, the, the animal sacrifices, were, grain sacrifices were given as bread, and that bread was to contain no yeast, because yeast represents evil, and that's what's going on here again. Jesus is warning against corruption in the kingdom. We shouldn't be surprised. Stop hiding behind that one. It doesn't take away from who Jesus is, and it doesn't take away from what he taught. Verse 22, Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked us, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, Make every effort. And that's the Greek word, agonazomai, which is our English word, agonize. So fight, work fervently, to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able. The door isn't narrow because God's playing games with us trying to make it hard for us to get into the kingdom. The reason the door is narrow is because the door is Jesus. And when people tell you that all roads lead to Jesus, they're telling you that the way the kingdom is broad and it totally contradicts what Jesus said. What makes it difficult is Jesus and what makes it difficult for you to hold on to your Jesus in this hour is because you're not uh, being accepting of what other people believe. But Jesus didn't give you that choice. 
The way is narrow because the way is Jesus, which involves repentance. Jesus said, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. That's the only thing that makes it hard. It's hard to accept that God has made a way in Jesus. And that's where these Pharisees are having a difficult time. These teachers of the law, they're having a difficult time saying, this guy is the Messiah. That's where it, what it all boils down to. Verse 25, once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, we ate and drank with you. We took communion. And you taught in our streets. We heard your teachings. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. And boy, we come to church and we convince ourselves that we're saved simply because we do all these right things. And he's saying, no, it's about me knowing you and it's about you knowing me. That's all it is. It's a relationship. Do you know him? Does he know you? Make that your chief pursuit to know him, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. And my friends, I've got to tell you, I have been honored for working so hard in the church. And what I need to be recognized for, if anything, is he really knows God, not how hard he works for God or what he does for God. I can't do anything for God. Verse 28. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from the east and the west and the north and the south and will take their places at the feast of the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. Now, the way you have to look at this is that Jesus is talking to a Jewish audience who throughout history have bought into this idea that because they're related to Abraham, they have an automatic free pass into heaven. And what Jesus is saying to those Jews who are holding on to that is that your forefathers will stand as witnesses against you because it doesn't have anything to do with whom you're related to, only at the point if anything, that they pointed you to Jesus and how to come back into relationship with God. That's what he's talking about here. Okay? So, uh, what, what, we, what we have here are people coming to the kingdom from all parts of the world representing those non-Jews that the Jews would have thought as unclean and untouchables. They're coming into the kingdom faster than Jews because they're believing in Jesus Christ. There it is again, Jesus Christ. Jesus painting a picture for us that heaven is like a great feast where the great men of God will be honored, but many of the people who were invited didn't get in because they didn't respond to the invitation. Why do people put off coming to faith in God through Jesus Christ? Well, I think there's four reasons that we've seen here, and I just want to summarize them. Number one, salvation isn't easy. Somehow it's hard to accept that God has made a way through Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Secondly, we have a false sense of security. And we see that in the words, we ate with you and you taught in our streets. 
but he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. It's about knowing him. Do you know him? Does he know you? Third, personal pride. He says, those who are last will be first and the first last. Are you holding on to your religious heritage? Are you holding on to those who know you? Or the rewards on your wall? Or the number of scriptures that you have memorized? Or are you holding on that he knows you and you know him? And then the fourth is because of dependence on religion, which is the summary of everything that we've seen today. God is saying, just come to me. Verse 31. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. They're not interested in saving Jesus' life. They're just interested in getting him to Jerusalem as quickly as they can because they know that's the place where they can take him to court and try him. Okay? They're not, this is, that's what's going on here. They're trying to put him away. They, but Jesus replies, Go tell that fox, that Herod, that's the word vixen, which means female fox. All right? the guy that Jesus will stand before, before he's crucified, who wants to see a sign for God, and Jesus has nothing to say to him. What a sad day when the Savior has nothing to say to you. You go tell that female fox, I will drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I will reach my goal. In any case, I must keep going today and tomorrow. And the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. So Jesus is saying, Herod's not going to stop me from fulfilling my purpose. God has a plan for me to become the sacrificial lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. And I'm going to do that. And now Jesus gives us his heart. And this is the last scripture I want us to see this morning. He cries for these people. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You who kill the prophets and will soon kill me. And stone those who sent you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house has left you, left you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And we will see that in chapter 19 where we read about the triumphant entry where we celebrate Palm Sunday, where the people shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But I don't believe that that's what Jesus is talking about. That's a foreshadow of the second coming. When the temple will be restored in Jerusalem, the Antichrist will stand there declaring that he is God and forcing people to worship him. At that moment, many, many Jews will recognize, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and they will find their moment of salvation. And that's what Jesus is talking about. Wow, I am battling and sweating like you wouldn't believe today. And I'm just, I'm just walking in faith right now. But I have to share this story with you. How I long to gather your children as a mother hen gathers her chicks. A few weeks ago, I was in Canada. And we stayed in a lodge there by ourselves. Uh, no one was there waiting on us. We were just in the middle of nowhere. It was shaped like a T. There were rooms to the right, 
center living area, rooms to the left. I was coming back by myself, and I walked around the left side of the building when all of a sudden there was a ruckus that caused a little bit of panic in me. I quickly realized what it was. It was a covey of baby grouse that saw me coming, and they panicked, and they started fluttering in any direction. And what they were doing was they were hitting the building, they were hitting the glass because they were in fear. Well, just then, Mama Grouse comes out of the bushes and starts screaming really loud and really freaked me out. (laughs) And she did that for two reasons. One, to scare me away because I'm the enemy. And two, because the moment she started screaming, suddenly those little birds that were crashing into the glass knew exactly where to go and they went to the sound of mom. They got under her wings and they all went into the bushes together. Mama grouse and baby grouse. Jesus is, in a sense, through people like myself, screaming to a world that's crashing into glass and void of direction and saying, come this way to the place of safety and to the place of life. The place where you're safe from the enemy and the place where you're home where you're supposed to be. Because that's the Word of God. And I've been faithful to teach the Word of God this morning. So Lord, as inept as I feel at this moment, I thank You that You are faithful. I pray that You'll only help us to remember that which You have for us and to forget the rest. Cause Your Word to come alive in our spirits. Thank You for it. And if anyone needs to respond in any way, I pray that they would do that with You And if they need to share it, that they would. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.